used to read a lot of books. I was that kid that I was always in the library. I was always renewing my books, not renewing them because I read them. I was getting new books out. And I, I, just, I just loved reading. Every moment I could get, I would read. I would prefer to read than I would to talk to my friends. I was just that. Always had my nose in a book. And my favourite series when I was younger was a series called Winnie the Horse Gentler. Now, I was quite younger when I was reading these, uh, but I'm not ashamed to say that I was that kid that was just obsessed with horses. I used to uh, dream about how I could turn our backyard into a paddock. I used to tell my parents, I, I remember once I actually made a presentation to them with our, with our backyard and each space that I would use for the stable and for the paddock. I would talk to them about how I, I would raise money to feed the horses that we would have and to look after them. I just wanted horses so badly. And I don't know why, living in suburban Brisbane, I thought that I would be able to have a horse in my backyard, but I did, and I, I continued with that dream. So when I found these books, I was delighted. A book, I think there's about eight of them in the series, I'm not 100% sure now, but eight books all about horses. Oh, dream come true. So this book mainly was about a young girl and her name was Winnie, which is funny because horses Winnie. Um, and Winnie lost her mum. She, but she was just, so it, the book it was about her dealing with this tragedy in her life. Um, it's actually a Christian series, little plug, if you want, um, if you have young girls who want to get into it. But um, Winnie's just this natural with horses. She was, she would gentle wild horses. She ended up getting so good with them that she actually had other people who would bring her their troubled horses. And the main point was Winnie would teach these horses and, and show them what unconditional love was. Horses that had lost trust um, in their owners for whatever reason, she would then come to them and show them this unconditional love, kind of like what God does with us. But growing up loving horses, Winnie was my hero. I spent hours reading these series over and over. I'd finish the end of one and go back and start again. Hours and hours. And because Winnie was my hero, I wanted to be just like her. I started talking like she would talk. I started acting the way she would act or how I pictured that she act, acted in my head. I just wanted to become more and more like her. I even bought specific toys for, with my pocket money that would allow me to um, recreate the scenes that I'd read in the books and the horse would jump over the fence and I'd be like, no, come back. Anyway, Winnie was my hero and I was her follower. And because she was my hero, I became more and more like her the more time that I spent reading about her. You see, the, the people that we follow, the people that we follow, actually depict something of who we become. When I was little, I followed Winnie and I became like her. In my teenage years, there were different friends that I followed and slowly but surely, I became more and more like them. As an adult, there are, there are people that I look up to, uh, that I follow and the more that I 
more time that I spend with them and the more that I listen to uh, their things, the more like them I become. The people that we follow depict who we become. Now, Stephen mentioned earlier we are going through a series in the book of Mark and we're going to be reading today and spending time in Mark 31, between Mark 31 and Mark, sorry, Mark chapter 8, 31 to Mark chapter 10, 52. Now, those of you who have just done the math have gone, that's two and a half chapters. We are not going to read all two and a half chapters. That's okay. Never fear. But we're going to be seeing how, how this truth that people that we follow depict who we come, how this is actually true in the Bible and this is true for the disciples. You see, <clears throat> excuse me, the disciples had a certain attitude and certain behaviours based on who they thought they were following. Last week, Stephen finished us off in what he referred to as the introduction of Mark and it finished with the very first statement of faith by Peter where he recognised Jesus as the Messiah. Stephen mentioned last week that the disciples recognised that, um, sorry, that the, the disciples' recognition of Jesus was vital for them to understand what it was that Jesus was here to do. So we're going to be picking up right from where we left off. We're going to be reading from Mark chapter 8, verses 31 to 38. And if you have your Bibles, I encourage you to get open them up so that you can read as well. So Mark chapter 8, verses 31 to 38. It says... He then began to teach them, this is Jesus, that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and after three days rise again. He spoke plainly about this and Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But when Jesus turned and looked at the disciples, he rebuked Peter. Get behind me, Satan, he said. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. Then he called the crowd to him along with his disciples and said, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world, yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? If anyone is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will be ashamed of them when he comes in his Father's glory with the holy angels. Let's pray. Dear God, we thank you for your word. We thank you that we can come here this morning, that we can learn more about you. Holy Spirit, that you are, you are working and you are teaching us about who you are. And God, I just pray that this morning as we come before your living word, that you would open our hearts, soften our hearts and our ears to, to hear what you have to say to us this morning. Lord, may this morning not be my words, but may they be yours. And Lord, I just pray, yeah, Holy Spirit, you'd come upon us this morning and move in power. In your name, amen. Amen. All right, so we've just read Mark chapter 8, verse 31 to 38. And 
throughout this passage, there is a little bit of a pattern that we find. And we know that it's a pattern because there's actually two more uh, passages in Mark chapter 9 and Mark chapter 10 that we see this passage, this pattern repeated. And the pattern is this. First of all, Jesus predicts his death. Second of all, the disciples respond with pride and misunderstanding. And third, Jesus follows with some teaching about servanthood and cross-bearing discipleship. So Peter has just come to the realisation and confession that Jesus is the Messiah and the disciples are his followers. Except these disciples, they're not, they're not acting like Jesus. Who they are and who they're following, it's not adding up. It's, they're two different things. If, if who we follow depicts who we become... What's going on here? What is the disconnect between the disciples' actions, their rebuke, their misunderstanding, their pride, and who Jesus is? Well, that's because the disciples, they already had a preconceived idea and expectation of who and what the Messiah would be. The coming of a Messiah had been foretold throughout the Old Testament. The Messiah that the disciples were awaiting was the conquering Messiah. They were expecting a Messiah who was a military figure, who would overthrow the Roman Empire, who would have great wealth and power, who would rule the nation with authority, demanding obedience. This is the kind of Messiah that the disciples were expecting. So when they came to their realisation that, that Jesus was the Messiah, and when, when this confession was accepted by Jesus, this is who the disciples thought they were following. And consequently, this is who the disciples became. You see, the disciples' attitude, their pride, their misunderstanding, it actually mirrors who they think Jesus is. Just like I became like Winnie when I um, was following her, the disciples also became like who they thought Jesus was going to be as a Messiah. Because who you follow, or in this case, maybe who you think you follow, depicts who you become. The disciples thought that they were following a prideful, powerful, military power. So they became prideful. They became concerned with power and status. We see this in, in these passages and in the parallel passages that, that these disciples are full of pride because the kind of Messiah that they thought they were following is this military Messiah. So when their beloved, powerful military Messiah predicted that he must die, they rebuked him. In Mark 9, we see that they argued over which of them was greater. And in Mark 10, they argued over which of them would sit in a position of honour in glory next to their Messiah. This is their response to Jesus predicting his death. All they seem to be concerned about is Jesus' status in the world and their respective status as his followers. 
See, to the disciples, a Messiah who died didn't have any, exp- any place in their expectations of a Messiah. And because of this, even when they heard direct and plain teaching from Jesus himself about who he was, they were unable to understand it. The disciples didn't understand who the Messiah was and who they were following. And because of their expectations and their preconceived ideas of a Messiah, it actually blocked them from learning the truth. But before we're too quick to jump on the disciples and to maybe judge them, we need to realise that this is actually a massive issue amongst Christians today. While we may not be outrightly thinking that Jesus is some kind of wealthy military power who will overrun our enemies, and while we may not be as tactless as the disciples were and compete with one another for seats of power or compete with one another and argue with one another who's going to sit next to Jesus in glory. While we may not be doing that, even still, through our much more subtle behaviour, we show just how little we grasp about who Jesus is and what he's done for us. See, the way that we do our walk with God reveals who we think he is or who we know of him to be. For example, if we are concerned with securing some kind of position inside society or in our workplace or in our job or in our family in order to win the approval of men and women and then and only then will we share the gospel with others, this reveals who we think of Jesus to be. Do we really think that Jesus can't reach others who are different to us. If we constantly leave the caring of the poor and needy to others because we feel we don't have anything to give to them, this reveals who we think Jesus is. Do we really think God cannot provide for our needs? If we leave the spreading of the gospel to preachers and pastors and gifted evangelists, this reveals who we think Jesus is. Do we really think God cannot give us the words to say and work through our weaknesses? If we constantly fear man and fear persecution for your faith, so much so that it causes you to hide it, this reveals who you think Jesus is. Do we really think that comfortability on earth is more important than someone's eternity? We are not much different from the disciples. Who we are as followers of Jesus reveals who we believe Jesus to be. It reveals our expectations. It reveals our preconceived ideas of who we think he is. And it shows just how little we actually grasp of who he is and what he's done for us. Our preconceived ideas and our expectations, they can alter and inform how we view and interpret a situation. And this is what we're seeing here with the disciples. Not only do they not know who they are following, it's actually their expectations and preconceived ideas that are blocking them from hearing and understanding the truth. This is a really scary thought. But 
Jesus is so patient and so gracious with his disciples. That's why he repeats this lesson over and over again so that the disciples may come to understand his mission, so that the disciples may come to to follow Jesus for who he really is, so that we can come to understand his mission and become followers like him. Jesus is working to clearly redefine his messiahship. And through Jesus' prediction of his death, he is revealing to the disciples the true mission of the Messiah. He's working to change their preconceived ideas and expectations. He's working to change our preconceived ideas and expectations, which will change our attitudes and our behaviour as his followers. Jesus shares with the disciples that their long-awaited and anticipated Messiah would suffer. Their long-awaited and anticipated Messiah would be condemned. Their Messiah would be rejected. Their Messiah would be mocked and spit on and flogged. And ultimately, the Messiah would die. This is utterly shocking news to the disciples. Something that they cannot fathom. Their long-awaited Messiah, he would offer liberation. He would offer victory, but not through power, not through might, not through large armies and military forces, but through his death and his resurrection. Rather than a military leader, The Messiah must be a suffering servant. And why? I think Isaiah 53 speaks about this really beautifully. And I'm just going to read that now. It says, My servant grew up in the Lord's presence like a tender green shoot, like a root in dry ground. There is nothing more beautiful Sorry, there is nothing beautiful or majestic about his appearance. Nothing to attract us to him. He was despised and rejected, a man of sorrows, acquainted with the deepest grief. We turn our backs on him and look the other way. He was despised and we did not care. Yet it was our weakness he carried. It was our sorrows that weighed him down. And we thought his troubles were a punishment from God, a punishment for his own sins. But he was pierced for our rebellion, crushed for our sins. He was beaten so that we could be whole. He was whipped so we could be healed. All of us like sheep have gone astray. We have left God's path to follow our own, yet... The Lord laid on him the sins of us all. Jesus was to be unjustly condemned. He had done no wrong. He is the Messiah. Yet he was killed and buried like a criminal. But this was God's plan all along. We see this predicted through the Old Testament. It's because of his suffering, Jesus made it possible for many people to be counted righteous because he bore our sins. And through him, we can receive forgiveness and we can have relationship with God. 
This suffering servant is bearing for sinners what we cannot bear ourselves. Jesus' messiahship was the opposite of a powerful military force, but rather a humble servant who would suffer at the hands of those he loves. This would lead to death, which would ultimately bring liberation and victory over what we could never overcome on our own. This is a beautiful truth. Jesus' pursuit of you, Jesus' pursuit of me, cost him his life. Jesus willingly denied himself, took up his cross, lay down his life for you and for me. He denied himself what he could have given himself as the Messiah, what he could have claimed, fame and power. He denied himself of that. Instead, he swapped them to be the servant who would suffer so that we could be liberated from our sin and reconciled in relationship with God. When I was growing up in high school, I had a youth leader and she was, she was really special because she loved me and the other girls that were in uh, my small group so unconditionally and she was just such a predictable presence in my life. I knew even though we had moments where we butted heads, even though we were mo- had moments where we weren't very good to her, she constantly showed up for me. She constantly showed me patience and kindness and love. Her love was, was radical to me. I didn't understand it. I was mean. I pushed her away and yet she continued to pursue me. And it was the radical, unconditional love of Jesus that she was sharing with me. She sacrificed her time, her resources that she was entitled to for our sakes. And when we were in youth, she really didn't see much reward. She spent six or seven years with us, week after week, and there wasn't any reward or fruit that she saw but she kept loving us and she kept sacrificing for us anyway. The love and the sacrifice that this youth leader had for me changed me. When Rach showed me uh, this kind of love and sacrifice, when she went above and beyond for me, it changed how I wanted to live my life and what I wanted to do for others. Because of her example, I wanted to go above and beyond for other people. And she's actually a big reason why I'm here today. And it's the same between Jesus and us. Jesus has shown us this kind of love and the sacrifice that he has for us. And this should change us. He has shown us the true mission of the Messiah, the suffering servant. And because of this, It changes everything about who his followers should become. Jesus then goes on to teach exactly about how this will look. And we see this in Mark 8, 34 to 35. And it says, Jesus then calls the crowds over to join the disciples and says, 
Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it. This is what Jesus did for us. When we understand that, we can understand what he's asking us to do and why. Jesus declares in his teachings to the disciples and to the crowds that not only must he go this way of death, so too must anyone who wants to be his disciple. When a person carried their cross in Jesus' day, this meant one thing and one thing only. They were walking to their death by crucifixion. To carry a cross was to face the most painful and humiliating means of death that humans could develop in that time. Bearing a cross was to face ridicule, to face disgrace and humiliation. Jesus' command to take up your cross and follow him is a call to be like him, to mimic him in self-abandonment and self-sacrifice. We must be willing to lay down our lives in order to follow Jesus. That's saying no to sin every day. No to selfishness. No to anything that is not of God. Every single day, hour, minute and second of your life. Following Jesus is going to cost you your life. Jesus' revelation of his true mission as Messiah and our subsequent calling as his disciples, it actually dissuaded, as you can imagine, a lot of people from following him. After all, the call to come, follow me, it's going to cost you your life, isn't very attractive. It's not until we can come to know and understand that this is actually what Jesus did for us that it makes sense that we would do it for him too. In Mark 8.35, it says, Whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for Jesus and for the gospel will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world, yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? This is the cost of discipleship because this is what Jesus gave up for you and for me. But many who thought they wanted to follow the military Messiah to victory, they heard this and decided not to because the cost was too high. They did not grasp who Jesus was and what he did for them because it did not fit their expectations or preconceived ideas of Messiah. A cross-bearing Messiah who would die and be humiliated had no place in their expectations or preconceived ideas. A cross-bearing Messiah did not satisfy their own earthly cravings for power and for wealth. A cross-bearing disciple did not feed their tendencies to want to serve and exalt themselves. 
these earthly things that, that these followers of Jesus were trying to pursue were the pinnacle of their existence. And these things to them were not worth sacrificing. So to them, the cost was too high. And in their pursuit of gaining the world, but not even the world, because who could gain the whole world? In their pursuit of gaining just a sliver of the world, they lost their soul. But to those who do grasp the hopelessness and the weight of their sin, and those who understand the pain and the suffering that the suffering servant, the Messiah Jesus, willingly went through to gain liberation and victory over sin, those who understand that, who grasp that, the cost is priceless. What Jesus did for us is so valuable that there is nothing Nothing we could do that could ever repay it, let alone come close to what he went through for it. To those who grasp who Jesus is, what he's done for them, this cost of discipleship makes sense. Just like how my youth leader changed me, who Jesus is, what he's done for you, should change you. When we deny ourselves, when we say no to self, no to sin, no to anything that is not of God, we are instead saying yes to Jesus. And when we say yes to Jesus, this is the, the joy and the hope of the gospel. When we say yes to Jesus, we are saying yes to living in the freedom and the hope that he's bought for us on the cross. The reward to, to laying down your life, to picking up your cross, to following him, it is matchless. Nothing can compare to an eternity with Jesus. So, are you willing? Jesus pursued you. He pursued you and his pursuit of you cost him his life. He suffered. He was mocked. He was spit on and rejected, hated and beaten. He lost everything. He laid down everything for you. He bore the cross for you, gave up his comfort, his friends, family, reputation for you. So are you willing? He did it so that you can live in freedom, so that you can be set free from the weight of your sin, so that you can be liberated from the wages of your sin. Sin that you could never carry on our own or pay for on your own. So that we can be reconciled with God and experience the joy of the Lord, not just now, but for eternity. Jesus has done this for the sake of your eternity. He's led by example, so are you willing? Nothing on this earth is worth, worth pursuing in comparison to Jesus. So are you willing to do the same for him that he has done for you? When it comes to Jesus or your comfort, which will you choose? When it comes to Jesus or your job, which will you choose? Jesus and your reputation, which will you choose? 
Sometimes it means giving up our hopes, our dreams, our possessions, and even our life for him. So are you willing? I want to invite the worship team to come back up now. I know when I asked myself this question this week, when I asked myself, are you willing? I went, yes. And then I went, oh, no, oh, oh, I don't know. I, like I want to, but, but what if? What if it means I'll never have the chance to experience my hopes and dreams? What if it means I lose my possessions? What if it means I lose my house? What if it means I lose my friends? What if, what if, what if? But me asking these, these what ifs, it actually reveals to me that, that my heart and my hope are in the world and not in eternity with Jesus. And I have to remind myself of all it was that Jesus went through for my sake. And through, throughout this week, through meditating on Jesus, his goodness, what he's done for us, what he's done for me, his pursuit of me cost him his life. What more can I do than lay down mine for him? So am I willing? Yes. Yes, I am because I know that the weight of what it cost Jesus, I know that weight of what he went through for me. And I want to be more like him. I want to choose him over earthly things. I want to throw my what ifs into the air and follow Jesus all my days here on earth so that I have the joy of spending eternity with him. Will I do it perfectly? No. But God is gracious and loving and he's forgiving. Commitment to Jesus means taking up your cross daily, choosing him over everything else. The cost of discipleship is large, but friends, the reward is greater. You are not alone in this discipleship journey. Jesus has done this already. He's doing it with you. We serve a God who knows the cost firsthand. A Messiah who carried his cross. A Messiah who laid down his life, literally, for you. When we grasp this, our natural reaction should be to do the same for him. Jesus took up his cross lay down his life in pursuit of you. So take up your cross daily. Lay down your life and pursue him. Let me pray. Dear God, we just want to thank you for the joy it is to know you. Lord, we thank you that we are continuing and journeying in our knowledge of who you are. God, we thank you that you didn't come as some military power to overthrow our enemies. But God, you came as a suffering servant. And you did that for us, to pursue us. Lord, so that we can come into relationship with you. God, without this, there would be no hope if you hadn't died for us and raised again. But you did. You chose to willingly. So God, we pray this week that when we come across decisions, that we would ask ourselves, are we willing? And we would remember what you have done for us first. And then we would choose to lay down our life to follow you. And we pray these things in your name. Amen.